Yes, it's me, Mike Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. It's the fastest, it's the friendliest, and it's for all the family. The Gas Shocks 116 Trophy and 120 Coupe Cup are the fastest growing race series in the UK, taking in six one-hour races and eight sprints at all the top circuits. Visit 116trophy.com to find out more and get yourself behind the wheel. From a pot of tea to TT motorbikes. From a classic English breakfast to a full serving of classic cards. Bridge House Tea Rooms is the Northwest Premier Classic Car Meeting location for cars, bikes, tractors, and owners clubs. So no matter what your automotive appetite might be, visit Bridge House Farm Tea Rooms on their Facebook page or call John and Alicia on 07980-444-221 for show details and to reserve your own table and parking space. I'd like to introduce to the Backseat Driver Radio Show fine young fellow called Mark Gregg who, according to the Motorcycling Club's committee listings, is clerk, of course, for the Edinburgh Trial. Why the Motorcycling Club? Now, before people ask, it is not purely for motorbikes anymore. Also, it is the oldest sporting club, motoring club in existence. I don't want all the phones ringing up. There are possibly older core clubs. But they were normal car clubs. The Motorcycling Club, or MCC as it is affectionately known, was the first sporting club to get its members to go out there and do something other than drive around and polish them. Mark, welcome to the Backstreet Driver Radio Show. Thanks very much. What exactly is the MCC? It's one of those things, its logo is a, piss, is a cylinder head and a flywheel. Talk us through, when did it start and what does it do and why did it come into existence? This is a story of daring do, going back a boy's own story and ripping yarns all involved in one. Really, to go back to late Victorian age, when a chap called Selwyn Edge emigrated from Australia, five years old, came across on the boat, almost fell overboard on the journey of the boat and landed in the lap of a, what was described as a portly lady on a lower deck. <laughs> he came to this country and he became a racing bicyclist. And he took part in great endeavours of the day at the turn of the century. And this was a time when the penny farthing was the main bicycle, but the safety bicycle was invented at the time. And he raced safety bicycles on a hundred mile races. <laughs> Ready, steady, go, off they went. Pedal, pedal as hard as you can. As you could go. Now, in 1901, sadly, Her Majesty Queen Victoria passed away in the February. And later that year, a chap who was a frequenter for Frascati's restaurant in London decided that the motorcycle would be a fabulous replacement for the horse as a sporting method. And he advertised in the papers and he said, who would be interested in forming a club for motorcycles? Now, that's a two-word noun in those days, motorcycle. Not one word as it is today. Later, in November of 1901, 
30 folk, I think, gathered above Fascati's restaurant and said what a fabulous idea it would be to form a club to cater for motorcyclists. And the best name they could come up with was The Motorcycling Club. Four different words. And it's The Motorcycling Club because it was the only motorcycling club. So that's how we came to be. Now, that was 1901. Tarmac hadn't even been invented back in the day. Yes, with the current rules, I'm often wondering if it has been invented or forgotten about. <laughs> From that beginning, they said, what are we going to do? And they said they thought the basis of the club was sport and entertainment for its members. Thankfully, they focused on the sporting aspect of it, but we can come into entertainment in a while. <laughs> Sporting-wise, they didn't organise events initially. They used to set a challenge. Yeah. Can anybody get from London to Edinburgh? Can anybody get from Land's End to John O'Groats? Mm. A member took up the challenge and he set off on his motorcycle from Land's End to John O'Groats. And it took something like 65 hours. Yeah. These were very rudimentary motorcycles with solid tyres. They didn't have a kickstart or a push button. You had to pedal them to start, and you had to pedal them up every hill. Yeah. This became a bit of a challenge backward and forward to uh, Land's End to John O'Groats, and they said, well, let's have a competition. So in 1904, they gathered in, I think it was late in the year, Whitsuntide sort of time, and they said, ready, steady, go, and off you go to Edinburgh. And if you can get there and back, or there in the first one, in 24 hours, that's an achievement, mm. not a race, not first one there gets the prize. Mm. Anybody who got there in 24 hours got a gold medal. And I'm talking gold, gold medals, not something wrapped chocolate wrapped up in a bit of uh, wrapping paper. This is a proper gold medal. So they, they did that. Their organizers flagged them away. And here we come to the entertainment from outside where Simon Cowell lives today. Yeah. So they flagged him off from outside where he lives today to the railway station in city centre at Edinburgh. 70-odd people entered, 46 people turned up on day, and 34 people actually achieved it. Right. Because they were not race, as long as you were in there with 24 hours, that were cracking. Some did it in 20 hours. 22 hours, 23 hours, 59 minutes, you still got your gold medal. Mm. Did that a couple of times and said, this is too easy. Far too easy. <laughs> We're going to ask you to go up there and back. Yeah. In 48 hours. So they set off. Did they get a rest when they got them? Now you get there because it's a gentleman's club in an age when gentlemen were known to their parents by their given name and known to their friends and colleagues by their family name. Mm. So they'd get up there. They'd have a mighty dinner once they got up there. And about eight hours later, they'd career back down again to London. Sensibly refreshed. Absolutely. In the West End. They'd be all wearing the shooting breeks and britches and everything, plus fours, kicking out in their tweeds and their pseudo-wax cotton jackets and that kind of thing. Off they went. A proper adventure. And a toolkit, no doubt, because... Oh, no, 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 there are plenty of toolkits that had to be carried. And you were allowed to help each other as well. So, one of the early protagonists then said, what about these automobiles that are just becoming popular? So now we're talking... 1906, 1908. Yeah. And they said, go on then, we'll let cars come, but on one condition. We don't want no big things, because cars were big lumbering things with 13, 14 litre engines, some of them. You've got to be able to buy a car by 250 quid. 
Which, well, I mean, funny, back then, that was still a lump of money, right? But all it got you, because your cars weren't cheap, all yeah. you got you were uh, either a quadricycle or a cycle car, which yeah. is basically something with four bicycle wheels or four motorcycle wheels, and off you'd go. And they but might that, only a lot have... of the time, they had an engine on the side, didn't they? Yeah, had an engine on the side or an engine sat next to the driver. They were rudimentary stuff. We also accepted at that point, and we still do, Three wheelers, but they were called tricycles in those days. And these were tricycles like a bicycle with handlebars on it. They were steered by a tiller yeah. from the front wheel with a big engine and a big petrol tank behind. And they were quite a popular mode. Half a dozen to a dozen used to enter it. And today, this club still encourages three-wheeled vehicles. Yeah. Reliant Robins being the favourite. We do get a sprinkling of Morgan three-wheelers and also one or two kick cars come out. But the three-wheeler, still a mainstay of the club competition today yeah so they allowed these cars to go and now we're coming up to a period just before the first war and they said we're getting a bit tired going to scotland where else is there that when nobody goes too regular we'll go to cornwall summer easter we'll make it a bit easier we'll go to cornwall and back so they went to land's end literally and came back and these were all on the main roads of the day yeah which were still largely unsurfaced untarmacked so it was a challenge to get there. And the thing was, if it was bad weather, they became just like mud tracks, didn't they? Even more. And acknowledging that very fact, again, they said, well, hang on, we're doing one at Whitsuntide and we're doing one at Easter. It's a bit too nice then. Let's do one in winter. So I'll tell you what, we'll go London to Exeter in middle of winter. When's the middle of winter? We'll go Boxing Day, they say. <laughs> so, you know, you, that's a real thing for building your family around, isn't it? Sorry, law, today I'm going out for the weekend. Yeah. So they went Boxing Day, Exeter and back. And that was literally halfway to Land's End. So it's same route, but middle of winter. Over the passage of time, that's now become the first weekend at New Year's. So it's often New Year's Day or a couple of days after today. Yeah. And that, up until the First World War, is how it happened. Subsequent to Great War, everybody come back. And of course, by then, going to Scotland or going to Cornwall is no great thing because you've been to France and fought the war. Maybe even been as far as Turkey or such. Yeah. So going to Cornwall wasn't such a big lick anymore. So they said, tell you what we'll do. Cars are too reliable. Can you imagine people in 1918 saying cars were now too reliable? They said, we're going to make you go up steep, rough hills. Yeah. And their interpretation of steep, rough hills was steep, rough hills. Yeah. So then set these days they call them footpaths, don't we? But they're not even good enough to be called footpaths in many places. <laughs> so they said, we'll find some hills and we're still using some of them hills that we used in immediately post-war in 1919. We're still using them today. Yeah. And they're still today, today's modern cars, still a challenge to get up. And some of these hills have famous names, don't we? They do. We can, if you go to Cornwall, you can look at places called Sims, yeah. Huston. Darracott, and the most famous hill of all in classic trialing, Blue Hills Mine. Yeah. The club was very fortunate to be in a position to afford to buy that piece of land that Blue Hills Mine sits on the quarry by the sea, and we own it. It's just like out at sea, the, mine, the mines are there, tin mine. It's an absolute fabulous place. When you first turn that corner and see that hill, yeah, it's just my jaw dropped the first time I saw it. The first time I climbed it clean, I put my hand on my heart and say, I cried. Yeah. It's that kind of achievement when to get up a hill that other motor enthusiasts 
from the very early 1920s were very able, were able just to climb yeah. and you can do something similar. That's an achievement. And that's a motorsporting achievement in my mind that I will never forget. It's absolutely fantastic. Now, the only thing about trialing is it's like the earliest form of motorsport. And in many ways, it personifies Enzo Ferrari's famous saying, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. It was how the manufacturers promoted their cars, because the cars that took part were standard as such. And it used to receive serious coverage in the national press. And yeah. Unlike today, where you might get an F1 report, it got serious coverage in the papers, the magazines, the periodicals of the day. But it was to, they used it to sell cars. Yeah, this, the, 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 the runs, or rides as we called them originally, they were reliability. Could you get your bike or your car to Edinburgh and back? But then once we introduced he sections and hills, it became capability. Is your car capable? Is your motorbike capable of getting up a steep bill without having to resort to pedaling it or pushing Push it? it? And that was a big <laughs> thing in them days. It's a big thing. And many cars and bikes weren't. If you go on to various YouTube, etc., and look at the videos of these events, you'll see them being hauled up more likely than not. Yeah. Traditionally, they used to use steam engines with ropes hanging <laughs> off the back of them to pull them up. We still use a tractor on a big winch at Blue Hills to pull up the cars that fail today. And we're talking 120 years later and still people aren't getting up nail. So the guy who came across from Australia, he saw the, the desire to do these things and get people involved and that our competition could sell stuff. And one of the big manufacturers to take note today or a name that we've heard of rather than being large was the Morgan Car Company. Now, Morgan himself, he got involved from the very beginning, but he wasn't the only manufacturer to get involved because I think, I can't remember his exact name, but a train fitter from Crewe in 1908, he took part. And one day, that guy will be building green cars flying around Le Mans. Not the old W.O. Bentley. It was Wilfred Owen Bentley, yeah. I believe. He's the Walter, Walter Owen Bentley. Walter what? So he was one of the protagonists. He rode a motorcycle in the very first year that cars were allowed, in 1908, yeah. uh, up to Edinburgh. So he was involved. The guy from Van de Bearings, he was involved. Morris of Morris Garages was involved. Riley was involved. Everybody who was anybody. But it wasn't just motorcycling. Just what you like you said, Morris Garages. For those who don't know, MG. Yeah, absolutely. And Morris Miners, all those cars that later became household names of the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Originally, the guys who started those businesses, they were MCC members. Because you couldn't take part in an event unless you were an MCC member. <laughs> you couldn't take part in an event unless you were a gentleman as well for a certain period of time. That rather rules me out. <laughs> It also ruled out the fairer sect until Muriel Hind turned up and she rode her motorcycle and the first time up, she got a gold medal. Yeah. And she was so, dis she's so taken by it. She then set the then record for traveling between Land's End and John O'Groats on the same motorcycle. Yeah. She tried to do it on a tricycle, but she couldn't get another woman to sit beside her. Right. So she reverted to the motorcycle to do the land. Well, nothing to do with the dress, because back then they wore these huge voluminous dresses, didn't they? I'm not sure they wore them all the time, <laughs> but I'm sure they, they rode them. So that commercial aspect did take play a big part, and it did come. But the stuff a legend then became Rear Admiral uh, Arbuthnot was a regular prize winner. And he used to take his Triumph motorcycle around on his ship with him. 
the ship was sunk at the Battle of Jutland and he and his motorcycle went to the bottom of the Briny Sea. Yeah. And this was the motorcycle that he'd won a gold medal in the, uh, the MCC events. Is he still there? He and the ship and the motorcycle are still there. <laughs> but those were the kind of people that were involved at the club at the time. They were pioneers in the motorcycling world, but they were adventurous people as well. I think the thing is as well, you like we talk about you to be a gentleman. Back in those days, it was gentlemen and their ilk who could afford the cars or the motorbikes. Yes. And who could afford to compete. Yes. Because to the ordinary person, Ownership of a car was just unheard of. It, it wasn't going to happen, yeah. was it? No. No, the motorcycle became the equivalent of the horse. Yeah. And you'd know back in those days, most people couldn't afford a horse. They'd maybe use a horse for a cart at work or something like that yeah. or in the field. But they didn't own a horse. Yeah. But then when the car, motorcycle came along, they could aspire to own it. And post the war, then motorcycling really took off, touring and competing on them. Because that's the only thing, you look at a lot of the big names like Rover. Rover cars, okay, it no longer exists, regrettably. They started like making bicycles. Yes. And then motorcycles, because a motorcycle basically was a bicycle yeah. that somebody fit a little engine to. Exactly. To and make pedalling it a less stressful pursuit. <laughs> <laughs> a more reliable pursuit, because... The engine wouldn't last much further than what you could cycle anyway, so you needed the engine to supplement your cycling yep. ability. So it was th those guys really did deserve their ha your hats off into them because they were real adventurous to yep. set out. No tarmac, no street lights, no road signs, no A, no, no petrol stations. But you used to buy it like at chemist shops. Didn't you? you used to get your pet. Used to pre-order it, and then you'd get it in a can or a jug. A bit like you used to get your milk back in the olden days, and then you'd pour it in, and off you'd go to the next shop. And that is how they made pro. If you broke down, you got to the nearest railway station and just put it in the parcels van, and you went back home to London or wherever yeah. that you'd set off from. And that was basically, if you look at the routes, London, Edinburgh, London to Land's End, they just follow railway line routes. <laughs> it's a way to get home. Get you back with us a lot. Now, you look at the motorcycling club today, and you look at the cars that take part, and you have everything from the specials, which are built to do nothing but this. Yes. One of the famous names in trialing is, to my knowledge, Dell, who yes. used to produce. It's like, an, it's like a form of Morgan off-road across in its own way. Yes. Austin 7's still take, but Austin 7's take part in everything. But you can do it in a Ford Cat. Yes. You can do it in a Mazda MX-5. Yes. One of the favourites is a, still a Volkswagen Beetle. Absolutely. And motorbike-wise, you can use a classic bike or you can use the latest Japanese trials bike. No matter what sort of cars can you not use in modern-day trialling? The caveat is you can't have anything that's got more than two-wheel drive. So right. you can't have a four-wheel drive car. Yeah. And so that's the bottom line. And you've listed there a whole range of vehicles, and you think, how can they compete? But you've got to remember the ethos of the motorcycling club is you're not competing against the other people on the start line. You're competing individually against the club. So it's well, and the, shall we say, the obstacles they put in you with it. Absolutely. So the obstacles are natural. They don't go out and stick a brick wall. I will put a brick wall there just to make life entertaining for them. Just no. choose difficult routes. Exactly. And that's what my role of Clark of the Course is to find a challenging route for every class. Now, clearly, 
that, that has to be slightly different in many ways because a Ford car can't go up the things that a specially developed trial special or an Austin 7 or the Dello that you mentioned, for example, could do. Yeah. Or an MX-5, which again is popular, or the Suzuki X90. Ford car can't do that. So we put together a route that's suitable for the Ford car. The route is slightly different. We put By the together... way, the Ford cars we're talking about tend to be the early ones, the, yeah. the little dumpy ones. Yeah, and but Ford Fiestas and VW Golfs, there is class and room for those. Yeah. There is, you are competing against the club, the challenge that I set you in your car or on your vehicle. So you can turn up on any motorcycle under the sun and you can enter an MCC trial. And is there an engine size restriction or anything? No. <laughs> oh, so you, but what I will do is it's set in different classes. So each different size class for a motorcycle. So it's a, is your motorcycle British? Because they're going to be older motorcycles yeah. in the norm. Is it under 350cc? Is it over 450cc? We've now got a class for these big adventure bikes because quite a few guys like to ride around on those adventure bikes now. Well, like, the, like the Perry Dakar That's right, yeah. yeah, with the panniers on and everything. They're great for going up and down the motorways and covering miles to Perry Dakar or wherever you want, but they're not so great at going up rutted farm tracks in Devon and Cornwall. So we set a route that's appropriate for them. I thought they'd have done all right. Yeah, they do all right until they don't do all right. And then when you get 400 kilos of motorcycle lands on you, that's a problem. It's not only a problem for you, but it's a problem for the three or four guys that try to lift it off you as well. (laughs) And then they've lifted it off you, and then you're on a warring force, steep, slippy slope. You in the middle of the start, night, you have to try and start it and get it going again. In the middle of the night, it's pouring down. Let's make it easy for everybody. <laughs> I've got to give we on an event. I might have three or four hundred competitors out in cars and bikes, but I've got a similar number of marshals observers out as well. Yeah, and I've got I can't play up on their goodwill too much, so they don't mind pushing the odd bike or car, but they're not going to push two or three hundred bikes <laughs> or car. Very few people would volunteer for that. So. Talk me through a trial. From a competitor's point from of view. From a competitor's point of view. From a competitor's point of view, for an MCC trial, it's you, right? It's not a race. It's not a rally. It's not against the clock. It's can you get your car or motorcycle? Are you, just wait, are you are given a period of time to do it. In. Oh, yes. For example, the Edinburgh trial. This year, we're going to start 10.30 at night. Somebody goes every minute. From 10.30. And for where say, do you start? Do you still start in London? Or? No, no, we've long gone from London. <laughs> Ironically, because it's too far. <laughs> so today's Edinburgh trial starts northeast of Stoke. Hmm. We're looking at Lichfield as a new starting place this year. Yeah. So we're then going to go up towards, and you'll set off at mini intervals, and you'll go towards the Derbyshire Peak District. And basically, you're going to do a tour of the Derbyshire Peak District, approximately 200 miles. And in that 200 miles, there will be up to 20 hills that we challenge you to get to the top of. Now, some of those hills are ancient drovers tracks. Some of them are ancient footpaths. Some of them are on private landing quarries. Some of them are in private woodland. Each of them has their own challenge. Each of them has their own technique to get into the top of. And if you get to the top of every one of those 20 challenges that we set you, we'll give you a gold medal. But we're not as generous as we used to be, and we can't afford proper gold anymore. So somebody's been out with Kelly Gold spray paint. Essentially, yes. yes. <laughs> but if you get to the top of every one unpenalised, we will give you a gold medal. 
Now, they did become a bit too common, these gold medals, so we made them harder. And now, <laughs> a lot of these hills, you have to stop halfway up yeah. on the trickiest bit, because we don't give stuff away, but, you know, and ask you to start from a standing start halfway up. Yeah. Rattling up a hill is not a problem. Rattling up a hill, stopping halfway up, and waiting for a man to wave his flag and say, go, is a whole new challenge again. <laughs> so we don't give us way too many. We might give away... 12 yeah. to two dozen maximum out of 250 stars, but that's all I want to give away. Yeah. And I usually try and get it so that one person from every class yeah. that can get a medal. Fair dues. The man in his car is equally available. should have a good a chance of getting a gold medal as the man in his £20,000 specialist vehicle that he's yeah. spent his bit on. So you'll get sent off at half past 10 at night, one at, one at a time, up through Derbyshire, around the Peak District, and you're going to have breakfast at a lovely pub we go to south of Buxton. Great pub there at the Duke of York at Pomeroy. Then you go around and do some more hills and you come back. And when you finish up, we go to a lovely women's institute at Ollings Clough, where they do a nice spread for us, cake and cups of tea and all that kind of stuff. Then we go on and do a little bit more and we have a tea back at the Duke of York where we lay a bit of a spread on But it. you don't go to Edinburgh anymore. We don't go to Edinburgh anymore. Purely by dint of circumstance. <laughs> The Land's End trial still goes to Land's End. The Exeter trial still goes to Exeter. But the London to Edinburgh, don't start at London, don't end at Edinburgh. <laughs> don't go anywhere near Edinburgh. <laughs> the Edinburgh trial was a long-distance event that, frankly, had its day in the 50s and yes. 60s. And about the 30s, a part of the club said, we want a really hard challenge. Well, these hills that we have to get up to be really testing. So they started out with the sporting trial. And I did a couple of years down south. And then they said, well, let's go up to the Derbyshire Peak District because we just drive past it on the A1 as we were going then on the way to Edinburgh. And so they had this hard trial, first weekend of October, early autumn, wet on the ground, muddy, rocky, slippery. What a trial all day. It didn't run all night. It just started in the morning, finished at tea time. And that was the sporting trial. As people's desire to go to Edinburgh for some reason lessened. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Edinburgh before Edin Edinburgh is sort of complaining about things. But before that challenge was diminished, the numbers fell so such that what can we do with the Edinburgh trial? So now we start late at night the night before, we go up around that area, and now the Edinburgh trial is based in and around the Buxton area. Right. It's, it is still a strong reflection of the challenge that those guys in 1904 had when they first set yeah. to do that first event. And that's really, I'm here in my job to preserve the event as a premier event. Yeah. There are other events, as you've hinted at, that say they might be six months older yeah. than the motorcycling club. But have they got a continuous history? And the Edinburgh trial has got a continuous history Every year that it's been possible to run a trial, you either run a trial at either Whitson or the first week and what is now the traditional date, the first weekend of October. And that will continue and it will be, I will consider to be the hardest event to win a gold medal. Now, the cars like we've been talking about for calf, Volkswagen Gold, and the club produced this marvellous little magazine called Triple. Mm. And there's plenty of photographs in there. And the cars 
In the main, aren't anything fancy. Like you look at a Golf, and it's the basic Golf. It's yep. not the GTI with the big wheels and the twin no. pipes and all the rest of it. You don't want something that looks like Carlos Fandango's had a go at it. <laughs> what you need with a modern front-wheel drive car is perfect. They're cheap. They're readily available. There's one on every street corner. You can get one, 500 quid, and be in a motorsport straight away. Yeah. Those cars that do well on what the MCC events are, which is the premier event, have had a lot of time and effort and development put into them. What so tends to be done to? You want to raise it up. Now, it's not just the front end that you want to raise up. The back ends are easier to raise up, and they end up raised quite a bit because you don't want your belly to be dragging along the ground when you're going up a hill. Yeah. Equally, you've got to have a sunk guard there to protect the bottom of the engine. Because you, I get the feeling you will clatter the underneath. Oh, you will clatter the underneath. You'll be clattering. Some of the lanes are so narrow, you'll be taking your wing mirrors off. They're that narrow. So you don't want to be driving anything that's pre hence the five hundred quid car. You uh, don't want anything pre pristine that no. We won a gold medal in a concourse show. The no, no, this. But, but we do have a class for that type of car. But the, to do the main trial, as we call it, you want a car that's reliable and going to be able to get up these hills. So. You put a sunk guard on it, you're going to put other protection in there as well. Now, a thing for front-wheel drive cars, which we are now allowed, is the limited slip differential. Right. So the car that we go shopping in is great for going around the supermarket car park. It's great for going to the dentist in. But it's not so good at getting up slippy to play. <laughs> once you get that car going up a steep hill, all the way it goes to the back, right. yeah. all the friction comes off the front wheels. They don't often lift off the ground, but they do fairly regular. Yeah. And therefore, you've got no grip. So your limited slip differential has now been a concession that they're now allowing front-wheel drive cars. Equally, we don't allow no M&S tyres or anything like that. All right. It's got to be a fairly standard road-going tyre. And the easy way to tell if your tyre's good enough is if you can get an 8mm drill to, say, stuck in your tyre tread, yeah. that tyre's good enough. Right. But if you put the 8mm drill into the tread pattern of a car and it falls out, that's not good. That's too rugged for the MCC. So, fairly standard road going tyre. So, really, for what you're doing, you could fit decent quality cheap tyres. Many people fit van tyres, taxi tyres. Remolds are really popular. <laughs> you can buy, you can still today buy remolds new, yeah. 12, 15 quid. Put a pair on the front. You could do, afford to do that at virtually every event, couldn't you? Yeah. And so that is cheap motorsport. You have to join the club. Club's going to cost you 30 quid to I was going to say, it's one of the most remarkably cheap clubs I have. I am a, before anybody asks, I am a member of this setup, and I am a member for the simple reason. I like the thought that my 30 quid a year goes towards supporting this club. That's very good of you, and that's the reason why a lot of us do. You, you join into the ethos of the club, the history of the club, and you, I am part of that club that Van der Vaal, Bentley, and all those people were members of. Yeah. And that's a sense of pride to me that I'm part of that club. And for 30 quid a year, you join the club, you get the club magazine, which is a proper printed magazine. It's a real little magazine. We equally, you get a newsletter every week yes. telling you about what the club's done this week, that week, and everything. We then have our three events, our main events, which are Edinburgh, Exeter, and Land's End. They're yeah. normally going to cost you a whisker under a hundred quid to enter each. Yeah. Which again is cheap motorsport in today's world. Yeah. 
You pay your money, you enter the club. You know, great many people of the thousand membership don't enter, but they do participate in some way. If it's not entering, they're observing or marshalling. And then we have a whole army of people I call the pixies who stuff envelopes because every event, (laughs) they have stuff envelopes. We have a man who goes to the printers. We have envelope stuffers. We have number writers. Every kind of job under the world is there for our members to do. And they do it in their hundreds and thousands. It's brilliant that so many people get some involvement. And every time I run my event, I am clerk of the course, I'm in charge, and allegedly I know everything about it. But every year, somebody comes out of the woodwork and says, I do this little job, and I go there, and I open all the gates down that road, and I've done it for 30 years, and nobody has ever known that they've done it. And it's such a... It's such a... It's such a... A brilliant thing that there is a bloke who lives down the lane. He isn't a member, perhaps, yeah, but he, yeah. open, he knows it's coming and he opens the gates for us down the lane every year. There's somebody cleans the road signs for us. So yeah. if you go down a country road and the road, road signs get a bit green and grubby, we have a guy goes around with a bucket and spade, a bucket <laughs> and a mopping uh, bucket and cleans them all up for us. You can't fault it. And you don't have to ask him. I don't even know where he lives. It happens. Yeah. And that's the beauty of a club that's got history and background to it another beauty of a thing like that of course is that having a name for so long yes that when i say to somebody i'm coming from the motorcycling club it carries a bit of gravitas with it and it gets us access to things that other people don't yeah so we have access to properties that other clubs wouldn't even dream of having access to it's a real honor and a privilege to be in that position to say excuse me this is who i am and people go Oh, yeah, I can do this for you. Yeah. So when we deal with governing bodies, they know that we're a proper setup. Yeah. They know that we're not 20 or 30 lads having a flash around a field. They know that we do a proper job. There are a lot of rules and regulations associated with the MCC. There are a lot of people in committees and stuff like that, so it can seem a bit removed. Yeah. But they're all there to ensure that the history, tradition, and the values of the club are maintained all the time. And long may that prosper. Now... One thing we were talking about before we went on air was people who fancy gold. And it's like you said, if you're a member, you can go on the website and all the rest of it, and people will be looking for a passenger because all the, apart from the motorcycles themselves, the cars always have two occupants as a rule, don't they? There's the beauty of a car. Because if your car seats six, you can take six folk with you. All right. And there is the... There is an age limit. You've got to be two years old. Yeah. You can be 12 years old and sit in the front. But if you're two years old, you can sit in the back. So you can take the whole family. In fact, one of our foremost drivers, a lady driver, she takes her kids in the back of the car with her. (laughs) You can't, what more of a family sport is that? But to get involved, you can either observe, marshal, stuff an envelope, or if you fancy getting your hands dirty, just go on to the club website, got a fabulous website. Every week we publish this news of the week, as we call it. S- select the option to receive news of the week to the guy who puts it and say, look, I fancy a go at this. Can I be a passenger on an upcoming trial? Yeah. Those requests get published every week. And every week there are guys saying, I'm looking for a passenger. Because yeah. there are a lot of guys and ladies who drive their cars and can't find anybody daft enough to sit beside them. <laughs> so it, it's, so when somebody comes along and says, I fancy go at that, you bite their hand off. Yeah. Because they could be the next best thing. 
what exactly does a passenger have to do? Because yep. I conclude when you set off, they're not a navigation run. No. I conclude you get a map of instructions and everything else about how to drive the route. Yeah, you get, that's exactly it. You normally get a booklet of some form, whether you get that in paper, hard copy, yeah. or you get a digital download that you can then print off. Your passenger would tell you, turn left, turn right. When we get to the start of the hill, the passenger tells you what you've to do. He says, we don't stop on this hill, but other classes do. Or yeah. he might say, we do stop on this hill, even though you'll see others. And he'll say, ready, steady, go. Now, when you get to a sticky bit and you're losing forward motion, that's when your passenger comes in. Yeah. Or you bunch of passengers in the back, the anthill mob. Yeah. If they bounce yeah. up and down in the chair and you have to bounce, to, if you can force a compressor suspension, the theory being you'll increase the grip at the rear wheels yeah. and off you will go up the hill. That's the theory. Which is considered preferable, front wheel drive or rear wheel? Or you want a rear wheel drive car. Yeah. If you fancy just having a laugh, or you want to compete seriously in the front-wheel drive class, yeah. front-wheel drive, not a problem. That's great. But if you're wanting serious tackle and you're chasing them gold medals... Then you ought to be a traditionalist. And you've got to go rear-wheel drive because yeah. you need all the weight at the back and go for it. So you'll see some cars that have got huge overhangs at the back with spare wheels and big toolboxes and everything to get as much weight at the back as possible. Yeah. So that's the preference. Which is the car to all this? Somebody wanted to have a do at this. What is the car to get yourself? That is a $64,000 question. Because if you are having a crack at it and you want to have a good time, you could have a good time in a Ford Fiesta 1.1. You could have a good time in a £20,000 Class 8 Special. Yeah. You could have a good time in an MX-5. You can have a good time on any car. Yeah. There's no limit to what you can have fun in. Because there's nothing, you're not winning anything. Because you're not competing against over it. It's you against the hill, against the club. So what, is there a car that you say, when you spot one, that if it's driven, it should do well? Class 8 specials are the thing. These are guy, cars that guys have developed over years, built themselves. They've got all singing and dancing. Subaru turbo engines are the thing. All the way over the rear wheels. Boogies, effectively, they look like. Yeah. The front wheels lift off. They're doing wheelies. They are, if you want drama and action... That's the place for it. Yeah. Deep pockets required and a good deal of mechanical knowledge as well to yeah. keep something like that on the road. But if you said to me, which would you fancy for a grand day out, I'd have one of them. But if I'm just going for a day out and I'm thinking, I'll have a go at that, car on the planet with two wheels that drive it, front or rear wheel drive. So really, you look at Bloggsy's 20-second uh, down car lot. Yeah. If you see something that looks vaguely entertaining yeah. and that it could possibly still drive about for yeah. about four and a half hundred quid. Yeah. You're in business. The only thing you need is up its suspension a bit. Yeah. Put some taxi tyres on. Yeah. Because uh, I conclude you don't need seats or harnesses or anything, do you? No, these are standard car. You know, all you've got to have, the only requir safety requirements is you need a bit of yellow tape round steering wheel. Yeah. A bit of yellow tape round negative terminal on the battery. Yeah. And you need a spill kit in case you drop any oil on the floor. And yeah. that, I believe, is all you need. And the only thing I've noticed on the photographs... People attach a bit of rope to front. Yeah, you need something that's yellow yeah. so that somebody in dark can see it, but you need what we call a towing point. Yeah. And whether that's a piece of yellow or your actual towing point on front of the car, yeah. that's good enough. Because there are plenty of folk, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how good you are getting out of the car park at a football ground, you won't get up all them hills. <laughs> so you're going to need towing. You're going to suffer the ignominy of being torn up at hill. Yeah. 
If somebody wants to get in touch with the motorcycling club, how do they go about it? We've got a very complicated web address. Yeah. It is the motorcyclingclub.org.uk. Not easy to forget. The motorcycling club. The motorcyclingclub.org.uk. And there's the Facebook page. Yes, the motorcycling group. But I would go to the website or I would go to the excellent Facebook page classic trials classic trials and that covers all the trials in the country but of course the premier events the mcc events always feature on that site classic trials or classical gaffs that's where i would go mark greg it's been an absolute pleasure i've wanted the motorcycling club on my show on the backseat drive radio show for a long time because i've always known it's proper it's the oldest sporting club of its type in the country, possibly the world, and it really is, as you said, cheap motorsport, and it's the oldest type of traditional motorsport. Mark Gregg, thanks very much for joining me on the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Thank you. The Backseat Driver podcast is brought to you in association with Tim Nash and the Lombard Rally Festival, the UK's premier classic rally demonstrations. From the awesome Group B cars to cars from the golden era of rallying, go to the Lombard Rally Bath social media for dates and venues. Rarely beaten on price, never beaten on service. Whether it's cars, bikes or commercials, Hoddy Tyres are the best in the business. And when it comes to tyre expertise and advice to supplying the correct tyres for your vehicle's specific requirements, nobody comes close to David Lakin and the Hoddy Tyres team. So give them a call on 01200 613 192 or visit the website at hoddytyres.co.uk. Thank you.